This is Truth Encounter, and today from Deuteronomy chapter 16, we are going to learn about the roots of our American judicial system and why there is so much contemporary negativism about lawyers, judges, and juries. Our study leader is Dave Wurtson, and he sets the stage for our discussion titled Justice in the Courts by talking about what we expect from our legal system when trouble strikes home. Something's gone wrong. Maybe I've done something to my neighbors, or maybe something's happened in the business community and someone's stolen. All different kind of things, but there's some kind of a conflict. And the idea of justice is that when you go into a court of law, you're going to be able to have a fair hearing and that your conflict is going to be fairly and truthfully resolved, right? Now, how many of you think you can get that in a court? Let me use an example. You went out, you went up to Dallas, you went over to Fort Worth, and you were gone for an evening. Suppose you came back and you walk in your front door and you see, as you do that, the door is partially opened. And as you go into your house, your house has been trashed. I mean, your TV is gone, your, all of your electric appliances are gone, your microwave is gone, your whole house, you go into your, back into your bedroom and your clothes have been ransacked and anything that you had that was any good at all is just gone, all right? So you go on the telephone, you call up the police and the police start a manhunt for the thieves that ransacked your home. Now just imagine how you would feel. And the police unbelievably are able to catch this thief. Can you imagine that? They actually find the person, these little you-know-whats that tore apart your house, okay? It comes into the court of law and they have a trial. And as the, as the trial proceeds, it's very obvious that the thieves are guilty. It's very obvious that they should be justly punished. But instead, when the verdict is read out, the thief is declared not guilty... In fact, you find out as you leave the courtroom that the judge and the lawyers and the thief were all in cahoots together and they divided the proceeds from your belongings, you know, the money that they made from putting them out in all the pawn houses around the area. They took the money that they made and they just spread it out among themselves. How would you feel? How would you feel? That anger is the beginning of anarchy in a culture. Now that's an extreme example, we're not quite there yet, but we are rapidly moving towards the idea that there's really not justice in our judicial system. For example, I heard a frightening thing from one of our guests during our party that we were having the other night. They mentioned that they were, they were interacting with their brother, and the brother was talking about a case in their state where parents that had spanked their child. Now they had not, they had not abused the child. They did not take a leather strap and, and, and in anger and vindictiveness hurt the child. Proverbs says that someone that does that, a parent that loses their temper and even slaps a child, according to the book of Proverbs, is a fool. They've lost their temper. They've done something in violent anger. And the Bible says that that's the person that needs to be spanked, not the child. But the Bible also says if you spare the rod, if you've got, you know, a, a little three-year-old in your home that begins to take over your home, and when you say no, they say yes. When you say don't touch hot stoves, they say yes, I will. And they just proceed to, to totally become the little rebel and the tyrant in your home. The scripture says if you spare the rod, you don't love that child. 
Because when they're three and they only weigh 25 to 30 pounds, you can do a little bit of physical correction and you don't have to do a whole lot of correction when they're 13 and 14. But in this state, they have a law that parents are not allowed to use a rod to discipline their children according to the book of Proverbs, okay? I'm not talking about abusing a child. I'm talking about daddies with tears rolling down their cheeks that love their kids enough to make them obey. In this state, they said, you cannot do that. The father stood up in a court of law and he says, the reason I disciplined my child, the reason that I, that I spanked my child is that I follow the book of Proverbs. I follow the Bible and I believe that it gives me guidance. It's the way that I should raise my child. And the judge looked at this daddy and said, this is the state and named his state. He said, this is the state and the Bible is not the law in this state. I want you to think about that. That is a frightening reality. Then what is the law of the state? What is the standard of justice? Who decides? Well, a group of, of old men and a group of women, you know, we won't call the women old, but, and, and none of the men are possibly old, but I want you to think of a group of legislators and they get together in the state capitol and they decide how you're going to raise your kids. They decide what's right for you. They decide what the standards are going to be. I want you to think about the tyranny of that. And that's where we are as a nation. Very quickly, we are moving because the Bible's been thrown out. You see, what I want you to realize, even if I was a secularist, even if I was not the pastor of a Bible church, the statement by a state official that this book has no bearing on this court of law, even if I was a, a total atheist, that's a frightening statement. You say, why? Because if you know anything at all about church history, the laws that we've been studying in the book of Deuteronomy that we're going to return to today, the laws of morality, laws against stealing, for example. All of you don't want people coming into your house, rummaging through your stuff and stealing it. Why does that bother you so much? Because of a law called, or a right that you have called the right of private property. What makes you think that you have the right to private property? What makes you think you have the right to have your own home? What makes you think you have the right to have your own clothes? What makes you think that you shouldn't just share that with everybody in the community and anyone can knock on your front door and walk in and use your home anytime they want to? Why do you have the right of private property? Because there's a law that's written from the beginning of time and it was given by God the Creator that says, Thou shalt not steal. And the law of thou shalt not steal is a protection and it's saying you have the right to your land, to your clothes, to your home, to your food. You have the right to your money. The right of private property is ingrained as Americans in our, deep within our psyche. But you know where that right came from right here in this book? And other ancient laws that weren't inspired by God, but understood some of the deep moral principles that were deep within us. But we're in a society right now that says you chuck out the book, you chuck out all moral standards, and what you live for is you live for fulfillment. You live for what brings you happiness. And I want you to start to think about the tyranny of that. You see, we have that, that, that taking place in all parts of our society. In other words, if it would bring a lot of self-fulfillment for me to go in and steal your TV set, I really have just a small TV right now. As I travel around and visit some of you, some of you have really nice TVs. Well, I would like to have your TV. It would bring a lot of self-fulfillment to me. 
So I'm going to come in and take your TV, okay? And you're going to say, hey, wait a minute. That's not fair. If you take my TV, then I don't have a TV. Yeah, but it'll meet my, my needs. You see how that morality works? And all you need to do is to bring that up into government, and all government, all a group of legislators have to decide is, we're going to take your private property away from you. And we've decided we're just going to distribute it around to everybody, whether they work or not. And that becomes tyranny. And then it begins to make people mad. And what I want you to think about today is every one of you in the past several months have heard all kinds of judicial lawyer jokes. Bob in our church is a lawyer. One of, the, one of the burdens of his life is everywhere he goes, he says, hey, Bob, I got another lawyer joke. Lawyer jokes. I just have to mention that and you all laugh. You know why? Because we're cynical about the judicial system. We're cynical about lawyers. We're cynical about courts. We feel that there's no such thing as justice. Well, what I want you to think about today I want you to open your Bible to Deuteronomy 16 because the, as the people of God, we can't afford to be cynical. We can't be, afford to just be telling jokes. Some of the children, some of you children listening to my voice right now, the Lord's going to burden your heart to become a lawyer. The Lord's going to burden your heart maybe to, to go up through the legal system and become a judge. Some of you are going to do that. Some of you parents have a future lawyer in your home. And if you're telling all kinds of bad jokes about lawyers, maybe the Lord really wants them to get in there and become someone that will stand for what's right. Someone that will understand justice. I talked to a lot of unbelieving lawyers, and I mentioned the word justice. They said, I've never, I never really thought about that. We talk about precedence, and we talk about going back over reviewing court cases. This is really an interesting thing to think about what's underneath the system and, and what we mean by a standard that we're to measure up to and what we mean by morality, what we mean by what is right and what is wrong. And we need some believers that really enter in, not preachers, but lawyers, judges that devoted themselves. I spent nine years of my life trying to understand and deeply get into this book. We need believers that do that in this book and then enter the, the legal field. You say, well, Dave, I'm not going to do that. Every one of you is part of a community. Every one of you is part of the community all around the area. You live in a community. We have things happen in our community. It affects our church. We have violent crimes that take place. We have stealing that take place. We have all different kinds of bribery that takes place. We're in this community. What do we do about it? How do we feel about it? One of the things I feel in my own heart, and it kind of goes to my upbringing, my dad raised me with the idea that the whole world was a sinking ship that was just going to go down, and what we all of us needed to do was proclaim the gospel, and that's true. But it also didn't teach me to be a very responsible citizen. It didn't teach me about the responsibility to, to maybe run for like a, a city office if the Lord led to do that. It didn't teach me a lot about, about being involved in government because the whole idea was the whole government stinks anyway. That was kind of the attitude of our home. The whole government stinks anyway, so let's just get away from it. Well, if anyone that has any sense of what's right, any sense of what's true, gets away from it, what are we going to have? Some of you listening to my voice right now, you're in government, and you know how hard it is. You know the games that are played, and, and you know how discouraging it is, and I want to encourage you. I want to encourage all of you, when you vote, we're still Americans. 
And we can still vote. And we can put different people in office. And don't let people that are telling you, man, don't bring morality into this. Don't bring the Bible into this. Well, everybody brings their agenda into everything. The only person that's honest is the one that admits that. You think that someone that doesn't believe the Bible doesn't have an agenda? You think they don't believe in something? How do you think they make decisions? Everybody makes decisions based upon some standard. And in a democracy, you as a believer have every right to bring your presuppositions, to bring your beliefs, to bring your concepts of truth and justice into the community process. And it's time to do that as believers. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 16. Moses is trying to get the children of Israel organized, and today we enter the courtroom. He wants to get them organized in principles of law and justice. And in Deuteronomy 16, he talks to the people about setting up, first of all, local court systems, and then he talks about setting up a national court system, and then he talks about, in his culture, about some of the things that need to influence the setting up of a monarchy. Now, we need to understand that there's a lot of difference between living under a republic, living in a democracy like we live in today, and living under a theocracy of ancient Israel. In ancient Israel, God was the king. God was the one who actually ruled over his people. And in fact, in the Old Testament theocracy, he ruled and his presence was among the people. In a Supreme Court decision under the Old Covenant community, a high priest could walk into the temple and he could beseech the Lord to give him the answer. If he didn't know whether someone was guilty or not guilty, they could appeal to the sovereign God of all of heaven and earth and he would give an answer. That was what the, the breastplate was about and about the effort and what the high priest used in very difficult cases to decide issues of yes and no. Is this person guilty or not? We don't live under that kind of an immediate access to the presence of God in just that same way. So as we look at this passage, we need to understand that there's some differences, and I'll try to bring some of those out. We don't live under a monarchy. If you were English, if you were British, you could understand a little bit more about some of the things he speaks about, about a king. But there's some underlying normative principles in this passage about justice and about the way that you found a court, the way that a judge and the way that a lawyer and the way that a court system should think that are true for all of time. And I want you to look at those. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 16. We pick it up in uh, verse 18. And Moses tells the children of Israel, appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town. He says, I want you to appoint judges, and this would be like local magistrates. The second word that he's used there would be like policemen. In this particular instance, it's a lot like our own town. For example, in our town, we do have a magistrate. We also have a police force. And that's the way communities are organized. If you move over to the next town, move over to Waxahachie, they have judges and they have a police system. And that's the way towns have been organized for centuries. And that's true all over the country. They have different names for them, but the Moses says, in your towns, you need to appoint judges, people that can decide issues, and you need to appoint a police force. For each of the tribes in every town, the Lord your God is giving you, and they will judge the people fairly. Now, I want you to see something. According to Moses, who's the one that gives us towns? Who's the one that gives us a land? Who's the one that gives us our possessions? According to Moses, where do we get all that stuff from? Tell me. From God. 
So I want you to see that the presupposition of this passage, where it all begins, is that it all begins with God. In, in Moses' thinking, courtroom justice, fairness in a courtroom, begins with your belief in God. It's very, very important. Why is that? Because if there isn't a God, if we're just here by trial and error, we're just here as material lumps of stuff, then why shouldn't I steal? I mean, after all, evolution supposedly moves by the power of the survival of the fittest. And if I'm fitter than you are, I can get into your house quicker than you can keep me from getting in, and I can steal your television set and all your valuable belongings. If I'm fitter than you, why can't I have your stuff? Evolution can't tell me that's wrong. That's my stuff. Say baloney. It's nobody's stuff. It's just stuff. And I'm just stuff. And I can take whatever I want. And none of you buy that. In fact, I haven't met an evolutionist yet that lets me steal his television set. But based upon evolution, which is a dominant working hypothesis, there is no God in our culture. Everyone needs to do what will bring fulfillment to themselves. You stay out of my way, I'll stay out of yours. There's no ultimate being we're, res we're, we're responsible to. And according to Moses, then everything starts to go into tyranny. And it will. And you need to really be in prayer because we are really moving towards tyranny. Because the same law that says thou shalt not steal also says thou shalt not murder. Why was it wrong for Hitler to start to exterminate Jews? Because there's a God in heaven. Because little Jewish kids that some of you have seen in Schindler's List were made in the image of God. And it's unlawful by the living God of all of heaven and earth to take their life. And if you do, the God of heaven and earth will ultimately deal with you. And he did. And our culture is moving towards an idea where we don't believe that. You see, you say, we would never do that. Why not? A German society did do it. And you know how they did it? Following the same kind of philosophy. There is no God. This Bible, the Germans wrote the most powerful arguments against this book ever written. They're still used in critical circles today. The Germans said, we don't believe this book. We believe in the progress. We believe in science. We believe in evolution. We believe in materialism. And therefore, we need to exterminate the Jews because it's right, because they're holding the whole process back. And there was no standard that said, wait a minute, there's a God in heaven that says this person cannot have their life be taken. And someone that takes that life needs to have their life taken. You see, all that was gone. And we're rapidly moving towards that same kind of thinking. There's no ultimate standard. We can vote on what we think the standard is. And I want you to begin to see in the book of Deuteronomy, one of the fundamental principles of the book of Deuteronomy is law and justice begins with a responsibility to a personal God who's really there. He says, the Lord is the one that gives us the land. Therefore, you should judge the people fairly. So we begin with the ultimate reference point is God. Now the standard is his law, and now he tells us some of the ways that he wants his law to be presented to the people. It needs to be presented and dealt with fairly. Look at verse 19. Do not pervert justice. What it's saying there is in your law courts, as you make decisions, don't twist my standard. Don't turn it to your own ends. 
The next thing he says, he talks about some specific ways that that, that that is done. He says, do not pervert justice or show partiality. And I want to talk about the phrase that it uses there about showing partiality. It says, don't look upon faces. Any of you that have had anything to do with law know the phrase that before the, before the law, there's no recognition of faces. What does that mean? It means that whether you're red and yellow, black or white, it means that whether you're rich or whether you're poor, it means whether you're a governmental official or not, if you break the law and you come into a court of justice, nobody looks upon your face. Now, as Americans, you understand that really well, and that's what Watergate was about. President Nixon said, I'm the president of the United States. As the president of the United States, our country is jeopardized. All these hoodlums out there in the streets of Washington that are, that are picketing daily at the office, they're going to take over this country and it's going to ruin the whole country. And so I must sneak into the Democratic headquarters, steal documents from the Watergate Hotel, and that's okay because I'm the president of the United States. And it's also all right for me to lie, for me to cover it up, and what that whole debate was about is when somebody found out we had a crisis. Could our leader, could our leader forget about the law? Should we look upon faces? He's the president. And after all, the president has perks. He can steal. He can cheat. And our Constitution said no. Our Constitution said no, that the president is the, the one that's responsible for executing our constitutional law. And if he breaks the constitutional law, then he is guilty and he can no longer rule over us. Do you understand the significance of that? Do you understand that in most countries for centuries, if a ruler wants to steal from anywhere they want, in the ancient Near East, if a king wanted to come in and take your wife, husbands, you couldn't do a thing about it. He took her. If the king wanted to come in and steal your television, that was it. It was gone. In fact, you bowed your head and kissed his foot and said, have it. You can have all my TV, every, anything, take everything. That's what they had the right. But in ancient Israel, and it's the founding of our constitutional law, scholars on constitutional law understand in our culture that the ones that framed the Constitution of the United States understood the principles of Deuteronomy. You see, this is a constitutional government. And Deuteronomy said, there's no looking upon faces. Everyone is equal before the law. In ancient Israel, when King David committed adultery, and when King David murdered Uriah, he was guilty. Why was he guilty? Because there was a constitutional law that says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not murder. It doesn't make any difference whether you're a king or a priest or whatever you might think you are. If you break that law, you're guilty. And before a court of justice, you will not be looked upon partially. And it doesn't make any difference whether it's a slave or a free man. It doesn't make any difference whether it's rich or poor. And God says in principles of justice, and every one of you need to burn this into your soul, when it comes to courtrooms, when it comes to principles of law, there should be no looking upon faces. The ultimate partiality is if, oh, it's you, it's okay. That can begin with getting off tickets. In other words, if you go in and you've blown it, you've been speeding, but you know the person really well, so you go in and that makes it okay, right? That's looking upon faces. And someone that has ethics, 
someone that has what we're talking about in the book of Deuteronomy will say, you are my friend, I love you very much, but you're guilty, and you will pay the fine, just like everyone else. That's what Moses is talking about. Dave will be going on from this point next week. Why not invite a lawyer friend to listen in so they can interact with this ancient foundation of our legal system?